Acts chapter 1, whether you have it in a print or a digital form, it's where we're going to be uh, this morning as we pick up kind of part two of a message that we started last week. We're in a series of messages that we've been calling The Next Big Thing, and last week we looked at three things to keep in mind if we're getting ready for the next big thing. If we're looking for what God wants to do in our lives, how do we get ready for that? We're going we're gonna to look at part two today, and uh, let's just kind of jump right back into our text, see what we looked at last week, beginning with verse 12, Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. So we looked at this last week, and we talked about if we're going to be ready for the things that God wants to do in our lives, how do we put ourselves in a, in a, in a position so that God is able to give us, to work in us, to allow us to experience the next big thing in our lives. So we looked at three things last week, kind of just for the sake of review, let's, let's hit them real quick. The, the first one we looked at, number one, was place. How important it is that we find ourselves in the right place. The disciples had to be back in Jerusalem. We need to know that we're in the right place to experience what God wants us to experience in our lives. And we talked about experiencing a place of obedience and expectation, that we follow his word and do what he's called us to do, and that we go with the sense of expectation, believing that he's going to work something out in our lives. The second thing we looked at is, is what we refer to as people. We talked about having the right people at uh, interaction and relationship in our lives, people who share your values and people who share your hope. And we also looked at, at the importance of praise in our lives, how praising God is so critical for us if we're going to be in a place where we can receive what God has for us. So how we praise him with our mouths and how we praise him with our hearts. Remember we talked about how when we, when we praise God from our hearts, it kind of sets up a firewall against the things that the enemy might want to send our way. We talked about praising God with our minds and praising God with our lives. And so that was part one. That's what we looked at last week. We're, we're going to jump back into the same text today. We're going to look at really just one other thing, and this is the fourth thing, and then we'll expand it today as we talk about this. Number four, if you're going to get ready for the next big thing, here's the fourth thing that I hope you'll consider, and it's prayer. We've already looked at the first three last week. Number four that we'll look at today is prayer. Now, look, some of what we'll talk about today is, is going to be pretty basic stuff. It's essential if we're going to receive what God has for us, but as we look at it, some of, some of you might go, well, I know that, or I've heard that before, or I've, 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 I've heard people talk about that. The truth is, we hear all these things and we know all these things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're putting them in practice in our lives. And I know it's good for me to come back to the basics and be reminded of what's important. So Acts chapter 1, verse 14, let's, let's read kind of the conclusion of Luke's thought here. He says, they all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What's interesting to note about this is, is what they did, that they were constantly in prayer, that they were constantly in communication with God. These weren't drive-bys. These weren't just kind of sending up a quick prayer with the meal. This was them finding a way that in everything that they did, they were in communication and in interaction with God. They wanted him to know what was on their hearts, and they wanted to hear what was on his heart, and then live their life in a way, respond to life in a way that allowed them to be led by prayer and by the Holy Spirit. And what you'll see as we go through the rest of Acts chapter 1 today is you cannot ignore the component of prayer and how vital it is to having God do something in your life. I remember when I was in high school, there was a, there was a special service that was happening, and a buddy of mine and I were both asked if we would sing at this service. Now, you might not know this, but back in the day, I had some golden pipes. 
they've since rusted, but I had them. And so my friend and I, we were, we were supposed to sing, and so they asked us, and so we had a couple weeks to prepare, so we picked out a song. We went, and I don't know if, if, if anybody remembers, we went and bought a little soundtrack, you know, on a cassette tape, and we had that, and we went, we, we practiced, we were ready to go. We got to church, you know, half an hour earlier or whatever, and we met the sound man, a guy named Doug, who I had literally, I mean, he'd known me since I was a baby. I'd known him my whole life. Handed Doug the tape, and Doug went up to the sound booth in the balcony of the church, and my friend and I were on the platform, and he pressed play, and we began to, you know, get the sound check. It was horrible. It was really bad. And so it was done. Doug just kind of hollered down from the sound booth. He's like, guys, I think we should probably go through that again. He's like, that... That, uh, you, you all right? We were like, yeah, we talked a little bit. Like, we think we can fix this. And so we changed a couple of things. And so we ran through it again, and it was worse. <laughs> and so Doug comes down from the sound booth, and he starts asking us questions. Guys, you know, this with the mics, and this with the music, and this. And he, he knew music. He knew us, all this kind of thing. And finally, in the midst of all of this, I'll never forget this. We're standing there on the platform. This guy looks at the two of us, and he says, did you guys pray about this? <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, that probably would have been a good idea. Because we picked the song we liked, and we tried to work hard, but we had never once, I had never once said, God, is this what you want? God, will you help me? God, can you, can you work through this? Instead, I was just trying to do it all on my own, and I've never forgotten Doug the sound guy looking at me and going, have you prayed about this? If you want God to do a work in your life, it's critically important that you not ignore this component of prayer. So what we're going to look at today is five benefits of prayer. As we pray, as we seek for the next big thing, as we ask God to do his work in our lives, there's five benefits of prayer that we'll look at today. Let's just jump right in. Here's the first one. Benefit number one of including prayer in your life, making prayer a priority in your life. Prayer brings confidence in uncertainty. Prayer brings confidence in uncertainty. If you're in a time of uncertainty where you're not exactly sure how something's going to work out or exactly what you should do or exactly what's going to happen next, be reminded that prayer brings confidence in uncertainty. Why were the disciples praying? Why were they even praying in the first place? Well, ultimately, it's because Jesus told them to. We'll read in a few moments in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, where Jesus says, go back into Jerusalem and wait for what I'm going to give to you. Implied in that is that you're going to spend time spiritually seeking, that you're going to desire for God to give to you for God to do in your life what he wants to do. And their situation was uncertain in so many ways. I mean, they were still scared about the past. They were uncertain of the future. Jesus was there, and then he wasn't there. He says, I'm going to give you something, but they didn't know what it was going to look like. They have all these things going on. Their life is filled with uncertainty in this moment, and they know that the best thing for them to do is to pray. Why? I sometimes think that we get, especially in popular culture, we get a certain misconception about what prayer is. February 4th, 2008, NASA did something that kind of hit the news, and it was, it was kind of special. It was, it was fairly significant. There was a, there was a, a scientist that kind of got together with folks at NASA. They dreamed this up, that for the 40th anniversary of the release of, of this song, NASA beamed out into the galaxy, beamed out into the universe, the song by the Beatles called Across the Universe. It was the 40th anniversary of the song. It was the 50th anniversary of the Beatles. It was the 50th anniversary of the year of NASA. And they said, in light of all of this, we are going to play this song and we are going to beam it out throughout the universe. Kind of unique. The transmission was aimed at the North Star, Polaris. How many of you have ever been there? 
Right, none of us have been there, right? It's 431 light years away from Earth. The song will travel across the universe at a speed of 186,000 miles per second. And part of it was not just to kind of celebrate the Beatles. The idea was this. If there's life out there, we want to send them a song filled with hope. So they send this song across the universe. They couldn't do it because it was interesting. There were, there were copyright issues because they were like, what if someone hears it out there? Literally, the record companies made this point. When they said, can we use this? They're like, but what if someone hears it? You'll owe us money. And they're like, are you kidding me? So they had to get permission from the folks that were tied to the copyright information. So they wrote Sir Paul McCartney, former Beatle Sir Paul McCartney, and said, what do you think of this? Here was his reply. He wrote back, amazing, well done, NASA. Send my love to the aliens. All the best, Paul. Here's, here's what's interesting. That's how many of us view prayer. Right? We'd say, well, I'll take some good thoughts, I'll take some good ideas, and I'll just kind of send it out there, and, and maybe it'll hit somewhere. Maybe somebody will hear it. Maybe there'll be some kind of positive response that comes back. Have you ever heard somebody, like when there's a, a bad situation, or maybe you're in, a, you're in a tough spot, or you're sick or something, and somebody says, I'm going to send some good energy your way. Have you ever heard that? Ever heard somebody say that? It doesn't work like that. You, know, you, don't, just, you don't just send energy. There's something more to this than just saying, hey, I'll say these words and maybe they'll go out there and they'll hit somewhere. Prayer is so much more than that. And this is, this is maybe a good place for some of us to start. Prayer is more than good vibes in space. I mean, we think of it that way. But there's so much more to it than that. And scripture makes this very clear. Psalm 145, verse 18. Listen to this. The Lord is near to all who call on him. Not light years away, right? Where is he? He's near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, the apostle John makes this even clearer. First John chapter five, verse 14, he says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, what's it say? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Look, here's the bottom line truth. This is, this is simple theology, but it's so important for us to grasp. God hears your prayers. When you pray, he hears you. You're not just throwing something out there into a vacuum or hoping that it hits some heavenly high frequency and God can tune you in on his satellite radio. When you face uncertainty, it's good to know that there is something you can do and someone you can talk to. I had a friend um, kind of call me up and we sat down not too long ago and he started walking me through stuff that's going on in his life. Situations with employment, situations with his family, situations with finances. I mean, he's walking me through all this. And by the time he was done, like, it, it wasn't, as a pastor, I suppose maybe as a man, as, as a friend, I want to just go, dude, here's what will fix everything. If you will just do this, because I'm so awesomely wise, if you will just do this, this will solve your problems. And when he was done, I looked at him and I went, I got nothing. <laughs> right? Like, this, this is not simple. One thing's not going to fix this. This is going to require time, and this is going to require multiple people. It's going to require cooperation. It's gonna, have you ever been in that spot? And I looked at him, and I was like, I, I mean, I'll pray with you, but I don't know what else to do. And you know what he looked at me, and he said this. He said, it was just good to talk with somebody. Sometimes you don't get the answer right away. It's just good to know that in the midst of what you're going through, someone hears you. Does that make sense? Look, I can tell you this, when we pray, we don't always see the answer right away. It doesn't always 
play out the way we wish it would, but we know this, that God hears us when we talk to him. In fact, look, look at this passage. I love the phrase here. Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. Isn't that a cool phrase? Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. For some of us, the healthiest thing we could do is to find some time, and it might even, if you've never done this before, it might feel a little silly. You might think you're just talking to the air, but what if you just took time to pour out your heart to God, to tell him what's going on in your world, to speak to him about what's happening, and you would say, Chad, how do I know that that will do any good? Okay, we just looked at verse eight of Psalm 62, Rewind this three verses and look at what the psalmist says. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. That's a pretty good description, isn't it? And if you've got someone that has that much security, that much strength, that much confidence, then in a time when you are in uncertainty, you can go to him and find confidence. You can pour out your heart to him because scripture says he hears us. And I don't know if you're in a place of uncertainty right now where things are not sure, but let me convince you of this. Prayer reminds us that God is a sure thing in unsure times. And if you're facing uncertainty, if you're facing unsure times, know this, that when you put your trust in God, you're looking at a sure thing in unsure times. Why is that important? Because you will face anxiety. You're gonna to come to times and seasons and situations that will have the tendency to make you uncertain, to make you unsure, to maybe even bring you to a point where that uncertainty starts to bring a little bit of fear. It brings some anxiety. It brings some, some uh, unsettling in your spirit. What do you do in those times? Philippians chapter four, verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see what Paul says there? He tells us that prayer is the antidote for anxiousness. If you're experiencing anxiety, if, if there's an anxiousness that seems to be coming to you, what do you do with that? Because it's not unnatural for it to happen. It's not sinful for it to happen. There are times when things will catch us off guard, where they'll make us anxious. What's the antidote for that? Because it'll be a poison in your system if you don't deal with it. The antidote to anxiousness is prayer. One of the things in the, in the last few years as we've, as we've kind of moved to the building and as we've kind of grown and we've had multiple services and kind of the hustle in between, one of the things that we've been looking for is where is the opportunity that if someone comes and they has a need, has, they has a need, we got to do something about it. That's the thing. And if they, um, man, so let's pray at this point. If you need prayer, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? And so we're working on a, a process, and you'll hear more about this in the next couple of weeks, of where you can go, what you can do. If you're here on a Sunday and you need somebody just to say, look, I, I has a need, and I need someone to pray with me. We're going to make that possible. It's a powerful thing. Okay, if you have, I got to move on. If you have uncertainty, when you pray, God gives confidence. Number two, here's the second thing we see in this passage. Prayer provides insight to, to the scriptures. Number two, prayer provides insight to the scriptures. Watch the progression here. This is interesting. 
Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem. So they go to Jerusalem. They gather together. They're in the place with the right people. They're praising him. They begin to pray. And when they do, the scriptures begin to come alive to them. As they're praying, God's word starts to take on some intention. It starts to take on some insight. It it makes sense about some things. Watch what happens. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. And then Luke says kind of in parentheses here, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Good morning. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. I don't think the two things are unrelated. They're spending time in prayer, and then Peter comes and says, look, everything that we've been looking at, it makes sense from God's word. Judas's betrayal and his, his, his suicide the fact that we're not sure exactly what's going on here, these messianic prophecies that David makes, the, the next steps that we need to take, as we're praying, God's word is making it clear to us, and we're seeing from Scripture not just how some of this makes sense, but also where do we go from here. This is key for us to recognize. See, sometimes we, we, we think, well, I'll, I'll pray over a meal. I'll pray if I'm in trouble. I'll certainly pray when I come to church, and I'll read God's word. I, I might... I might have a verse that, I, that pops up on my phone each day, or I have a devotion that I go through. And oftentimes, we separate prayer and God's word when the two were created to go hand in hand. That as we speak with God, he speaks to us through his word and by his spirit. And when we invite the two to be at work in our lives at the same time, there's this powerful thing that happens. And we see it here that as they were praying, it illuminated God's word for them. Why is that? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 Familiar passage, but listen to this expression here. For the word of God is alive and active. Look, there's no other piece of literature like scripture. God's word is alive. And that's key for you to know. God's word is alive. If you ever see something and it's moving, you know it's alive. If it's not, you question that. And I think oftentimes we go to God's word and we just read it like it's another piece of literature, and we forget the fact that it's alive. It should be moving. It should be working. It should be stirring inside of us. And I know that this is super simple for some of us, but the reality is too few of us respond to it. Too few of us actually open God's word with the sense that this this is alive. This can speak to me. We all need this so often. The reality is too often I view God's word as an obligation, I have to spend time in it. I'm a Christian. I need to. I've got to spend time in God's word instead of inviting it to be something that stirs and moves in my heart. Listen to how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, verse 15. We'll come back to this passage in a couple of weeks. But Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. See, the Holy Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit's purpose is to make God's truth known to us. This is significant. So spiritual insight comes from God's Holy Spirit. So if we read God's word and we, we struggle, you know, sometimes you go, well, I, I was reading the Bible. I didn't really get anything out of it. I was reading the Bible. It didn't really do anything for me. Maybe it's because we've not invited the Holy Spirit to be at work through speaking to us. 
For some of us, what, what we have is we have the Holy Bible, right? And it's on a shelf, and it's that big book, and it's got the words right on the side of it, the Holy Bible. And we're glad we have one, but we don't necessarily make use of it. And the truth is, the Holy Spirit will help you to understand the Holy Bible. And he'll come alongside of you. If you will open yourself up, if you'll be willing to ask God to, he will do that. My, my challenge to you is this, that, that you take some time and look, what works for you? Or, or what are you used to? You might say, well, Chad, I've never, really, I've never really done this. Then don't think you have to block out you know, six and a half hours to do this. Carve some time out and, and take, I don't know whether it's on your phone or your tablet, I, I'm, I'm still a big fan of, of what the trees have given us, especially when I'm reading the Bible. Man, open up that book, and, and before you dig in, before you start reading, before you start checking something off a list, what if you were to open up your heart and you were to say, God, I know this isn't just a book. God, this is your book for me. How do you want to speak to me? David, David gives us a prayer in Psalm 119, verse 18, that I think would be a powerful thing for us to make a part of our vocabulary. Listen to this, Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Wouldn't that be a powerful prayer? That if when I sat down to read God's word, instead of saying, well, I got six minutes, I'll knock this out. What if I said, Holy Spirit, would you, would you open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law? You ever, you ever been on a trip, maybe uh, really just about anywhere other than Toledo, where there's mountains? You ever been there? <laughs> right? And you're driving along, and, and as you go on the side of the road, there's a sign that says scenic overlook. Yeah. And so you pull off because you want to say, hey, what is that? And you get out, and you start looking around, and you walk over, and they got these things on these poles, these stands that are like these real fancy binoculars, those viewfinders. Do you know what I mean? And you can walk up to them, and you can, you can put your head up to them, and you can look through, and then you can really see what's out there. Here's the deal. If you just walk up to it, and put your head on it, are you going to be able to see much? No, here's why. Two things. Number one, if you just walk up to it and put your head on it, you, you probably should have thought about wiping it off first. <laughs> just word of encouragement. Always have hand sanitizer. Second thing, second thing, you're not going to be able to see out that thing unless first you put a quarter in it. Because the highway department does not love you. They want your money. All right? So you, you put that quarter in that thing. Once you put the quarter in the thing, then it opens up. Then you can look out, then you can see it. But if you don't think that you're gonna have to put a little something into it first, if you think you're not gonna have to pay a little bit for this, you're not gonna truly see what's out there to be seen. And I think the same's true about God's word. Oftentimes we walk up to God's word and we think, well, I'm just gonna kind of put my head into it and all of a sudden I'll see that without any effort on our part. Man, there's wonderful things for you to see, but it might cost you a little. It might mean you're gonna have to invest a little in this. It might mean you're going to have to open yourself up and not just open God's word, but open your heart to say, Lord, open my eyes so I can see wonderful things in your law because they're there to be seen. But we miss out on insights from scripture if we don't first ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate that for us, to help us and to show us what it is that he wants us to see. Why this becomes so critically important is not just so you can have a brilliant theological mind. Okay, understand this. When you're in uncertain times, prayer brings confidence. When you're reading God's word, prayer brings insight. Here's the third thing, and this is why this is so important. Number three, prayer gives guidance to decisions. 
Number three, prayer gives guidance to decisions. So when I open God's word, when I allow his spirit to speak to me through his word, then it helps me in the choices and the decisions that I need to make. Let's go back to the text. Acts chapter one, verse 21. Remember, Peter's just read these scriptures. Then he says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Let's push the pause button there real quick. Why was this important? Why did they have to have a witness of the resurrection? There were already 11 of them, and then Judas dies. Why is it so critical that they replace him? Was it because of Judas's death, or was it because of Judas's defection? The reality was, it wasn't because he died. If you read through the book of Acts, other apostles will die and they don't scramble to replace them. The reason was because Judas walked away because he was no longer a witness to the resurrection and they wanted to have 12. Why did they want to have 12? Because all throughout scripture, 12 is a number that is used by God to bring legitimacy and to bring authenticity and to say, look, this is a real, true witness. This is a powerful thing. There's even an aspect of this, why it's so significant that they said there were 120 people, which is 12 times 10, right? 120 people in the upper room. This is a significant point. And what they were trying to say is we need to replace Judas because as this thing gets started, we want people to know that this is an accurate, authentic, legitimate move of God. So that's why they needed to find somebody. It would give them um, legitimacy as they move out into the world. So they say, look, we've got to replace someone in this spot. Go back to the text. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to those to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So what did they do when they had a big decision to make? I think this is really fascinating. The first thing they did, they said, look, we gotta find somebody to fill this spot. Let's do this. Let's come up with the right criteria. What should this person already have done or have known or have experienced? And then let's pick some people. It says they nominated a couple of guys to fill this role. Understand this. Making decisions begins with using wisdom. If you have a decision to make, Making decisions begins with using wisdom. I think sometimes we can get a little hyper-spiritual and we can go, I will make a decision as soon as the Holy Spirit sends me an email. Right, or we're like, God will have to just write something in the sky. And God's saying, you know what you need to do, just make a decision, right? You know, you know the first steps you need to take. And making decisions begins with using wisdom. You see this in Acts chapter six when they had to choose leaders to serve as deacons in the church. And it says they, they name some criteria and then they pick some people to match that. You see this in Acts chapter 15, verse 28. Look at this passage, I think it's, it's significant. They're, they're describing changes and, and information that the community of the churches, and they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Isn't that an interesting tandem there? It says, look, th- this seemed right to us. We, we had wisdom and, and the Holy Spirit has confirmed this for us. This seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. When you're making a decision, it's okay to use wisdom. And I think that's part of praying. Because when I pray, and when I'm in God's word, it helps me to be grounded in a place where I have the right wisdom to make decisions. 
you know, we're in a real unique place as a church. We're, we're making decisions with regards, and I, I talked about this a little bit last week, about renovations that are going to happen here in the next few weeks. We're making decisions about our former property on Glendale. We're making decisions about the vision of the church. And our, our board about a month ago said, Pastor, we, we think we should be praying more. And so our board's getting together once a week to spend time praying and asking God, God, would you lead us and give us your wisdom as we make these choices? I'd love it if you join with us in praying for God to give direction and vision to the church as we go into the days ahead. Why? Because we need his help to have wisdom to do this. The problem is sometimes when we use common sense or when we use wisdom, then we want to try to force it. We say, well, this seems right to me, so I'm going to force my way through this thing. Did anybody hear, this is about a week ago, about the seven-year-old boy in Utah who wrote a fake note for his parents and said it was from his elementary school? He, he was um, very thoughtful. He took a sheet of notebook paper, and then he cut it down to about the size of a note so that it would look more official. And then he scribbled out his request on this note, left it out on the kitchen counter for his mom to see. So his mom comes walking out into the kitchen and sees this piece of paper. She reads it, and listen to what it says. He has written on here, Dear parents, Nathan has been doing good in all his classes except for video game class. If he does not stay up all night playing video games, he will get kicked out of school. Start letting him stay up all night and start tonight. He can play anything, computer, Wii, iPod, iPad, phone, and any other electronic. And he signed it. This is my favorite part. At the bottom of the note, he wrote, from the school. <laughs> Made sense to him. He was going to force his way into that thing. And we have to be careful that when we're going to make a decision, we don't just take what makes sense to us and try to force it. It's interesting. The, the, the followers of Jesus did what made sense. They nominated some people. They, they, they set up the criteria. They used their wisdom. Then they said, God... <laughs> You've got to help us with this. In fact, remember it says, then they prayed. God, you know people's hearts. You know what is right to do here. And they even cast lots, right? Which is basically they rolled a dice. They had the two names and they kind of let chance pick it. And, and, and then they, they cast lots. You'll see that as a way of making decisions in the Old Testament. You'll see it at this point in the New Testament. What's interesting, and this is helpful for us, at the end of Acts chapter one, they cast lots to make a decision. At the beginning of Acts chapter two, God pours out the Holy Spirit on all people. From there on, you never see casting lots again as a way to make decisions in Scripture. You know why? Because you don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to reach out and hope God answers you. You know that you have the Holy Spirit in you. And as a result of that, when you have to make a decision, you're not just letting chance decide it. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So when you make a decision, it starts with wisdom, but making decisions is confirmed by God's Spirit. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. And so when there's a decision to be made, it's wise for us to do the list of pros and cons. It's wise for us to figure out what seems to make sense. What, what's common sense tell us? What does wisdom tell us? But then we say, God, what do you want me to do? Ultimately, it's your decision. It's Doug the sound man saying to you, have you prayed about this? Have you allowed God to help you make this decision? John chapter 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will help you to have the truth, to know what way to go. Now look, I know this is a, this is a whole other sermon in and of itself, but I feel like if we're gonna talk about this, we need to at least give a little bit of guidance here. Because if you have to make decisions, 
and you need to know how the Holy Spirit's gonna confirm that in your life, what does that look like? So let's just real quick answer a question. How does God direct our decisions? In those times when you have to make choices, what is it that the Holy Spirit does? Let me just throw a few, a few your way. One is this, God directs us using passion. Sometimes the way that he directs us is he makes us passionate about something. He stirs in us a desire. There's something that's inside of us that we can't get away from. Sometimes it's, it's a gifting. Sometimes it's something that we feel um, um, you know, comfortable with because it's the way we're designed. It's something that we're interested in. Other times, God will put a passion in our hearts. Like I've had things in my life before where I've gone, this, this, this is not like me, but I know this is important to me, so it must be the Holy Spirit at work in me. Does that make sense? And he gives us this passion to move in a certain direction. So God will sometimes direct us by, by just putting something in our hearts and making us passionate about that thing. Sometimes God directs us using peace. He'll put a peace in our heart. And with that, we know this is the right thing. There have been things in my life that I have not wanted to do that I did not necessarily say were in my comfort zone or were in my skill set or, or were the choices that I wanted to make. But when I had to do that, I knew that in that moment, I had peace from God to make that decision. Anyone ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? All six of us. It's a powerful move, isn't it? It's cool. When God speaks in that way and gives you peace to step forward. So God will sometimes use our passion. He'll sometimes use peace. And God directs us using people. He will direct us using people as well. He will send people in our world who may speak a word from him, who will help to confirm something. They'll affirm something in your life. But understand this. This is where it gets tricky. If someone comes to you and, and, and implies that they have a word from God for you, and it doesn't line up with either passion or, um, or, or peace that God has given to you, you don't need to buy into what that person says. Does that make sense? Because just because someone says to you and says, thus saith the Lord, if that's not what the Lord's saying to you, don't think that's necessarily what the Lord is saying. I've got a friend that when she was young, someone came up to her at a church service and said, I am so convinced God is calling you to be a missionary in Brazil. And she was like, no, no he's not. Not because I don't want to go. Not because I'm afraid of, of going to Brazil. But because that's never been in my heart. And she prayed about it. And she says, look, I don't have a passion for that. I God's given me no peace about that. In fact, he's given me peace more to say, I don't think you're right. Because just because some well-meaning person wants to maybe encourage you in some way, if it doesn't line up with the, with the peace and the passion God's given to you, you, you don't necessarily have to take that as God's word. Does that make sense? Which takes us even one more step further, and this is, this is the key part. God directs us using his promises. See, he's, he's already given us his word. And so when we read his word, that's what God illuminates. He gives us insight, and then he helps us to make our directions. Can you see why prayer and the word and decision-making is also powerful? And if at any point your passion or your peace or what other people say does not line up with his promises, then it's not from God. Because God doesn't just kind of change his mind on a whim. If the way you're feeling led does not line up with his word, if you want to make decisions that somehow don't line up with what Scripture says then it's probably not, no, let's take the probably out. It's not from God. And so God will direct you in powerful ways. That's why prayer is so important. Number four, we, we've got to keep moving. Number four, prayer develops patience in the process. What's the benefit of prayer? Prayer develops patience in the process. Look, if I was one of the disciples out on the Mount of Olives, 
Jesus says, folks, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for what the Father has given to you. And then Jesus, he ascends. We talked about this last week, right? He's gone. I would go back to Jerusalem and I would kneel by my little bed at night and I would say, God, I want what you have for me. I want your promise. I want what you want to give to me. I'm so excited about this. And then I'd get in bed and I'd close my eyes and I would expect that when I woke up the next morning, the promise would be there. Anybody else? Because I don't want to wait. God, I prayed. I sent you the email. I'm expecting a reply. Right? I, I, I asked, so I'm ready to receive. I knocked. The door should be open. The door should be unlocked and swinging open as I knock. Right? That's the way I think about this. It's not always the way it works. Sometimes there's a process, and when I pray, it builds that patience in me. Do you know what happened to the disciples? They went back from the Mount of Olives. Do you know how many days they prayed? Ten. Might not seem like a lot to you, but it probably was to them. Because they didn't know what was going on. They, they just expected the promise to come. They expected this gift to be given. Jesus was, was good. The Father was good. He's going to give us this gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure if we pray, it'll be here in the morning. And it wasn't there. They said, maybe he's sending an Amazon Prime. It's second day. It still wasn't there. <laughs> right? Ten days. And they, they didn't know what and when and how it was coming. They just had to believe that at some point, if, if we're patient, then this process is going gonna, is gonna to play out. There's more going on here than just what we think or just what we want. Understand this, prayer activates our faith. When you pray, it activates your faith. It causes you to go, God, look, I believe you're gonna do this, and so I'm gonna take a step in that direction. I don't necessarily know how it's gonna happen. I don't even know necessarily what I'm supposed to do next. I just know that the best thing I can do is to pray. And when I pray, it takes my focus off of me and onto him, right? And in doing that, it allows my faith to be activated to move forward. The, the trick here in this and, and, and is that it doesn't, always, it doesn't always play out the way that I want it to. A couple weeks ago, I heard a pastor named Darius Daniels preach a sermon. And one of the things he said in that that, that just struck me so strongly, he said, you're not always ready for what you're ready for. You know, you might say, God, I'm ready for the next big thing in my life. And God might say, well, I'm not so sure that you're ready for what you're ready for. You think you're ready for that but you're not ready for that. I'm not so sure that you're ready for what you're ready for. I mean, we see this played out all throughout Scripture. Remember when, when God's promising the Israelites that he's going to give them the promised land? And then he says this to them, Exodus chapter 23, verse 29. He says, but I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. So God says, look, I could send your enemies out all at once, but then your land would, would just go crazy, so it would be better if I just left the enemies there to take care of that for you until you can handle it all. I just know this, that when I ask God for something, the last thing I want to hear him say is, you'll get it little by little. <laughs> I'd like it all. I'd, I'd like it now. And God says that's not necessarily the way I do things. See, prayer not only activates our faith, but prayer builds our faith. When you pray, it's building something in you. It's stirring something in you. He is working in you. So why did God not just pour that out in their lives? Why did God not just go, boom, bam, there you have it, Holy Spirit, it's there. That's what they would have wanted. That probably would have been best, but that wasn't necessarily what they needed. See, God had a bigger plan. Yeah, he, he could have done this. They, they could have got back to Jerusalem, check. They could have began to wait, check. And he could have said, you know what? 120 in the upper room, there you go, you have it. And he could have sent the Holy Spirit. 
And then for those 120, that would have been awesome. But instead, God says, look, you've got to understand, you can't see this now, but I have a better plan. I could send it to you now. But if you'll just wait 10 days, then it's Pentecost. And at Pentecost, do you know what's going to happen to the population in Jerusalem? It's going to swell. It's going to double the number of pilgrims that are going to come. People who are hungry and expecting to hear from me. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a show that you can't imagine. Like you can't even begin to understand disciples, what this Holy Spirit outpouring is going to look like. So, so just wait for it. You've just got to trust me. I could do it now. But if I have the platform of Pentecost, then it'll make a lot more sense. It'll be a lot more powerful, impact more people. I could give it to the 120, but I'd rather give it to thousands. Look, it's not just about you. It's about what I want to do for a lot of people. So I know you have to wait, and I know you have to be patient, and I know this isn't what you hoped for, but you've got to trust me because I have a platform that's bigger than what you know, and I'll work out more, and it might not make sense right now. I'm just asking you to be patient in the process because God's timing is not always our timing. Some of you sounded bitter at that moment. Um, It's true, though, isn't it? I mean, God's timing is not always our timing. We want things in a certain way in a certain time. And God says, can, can you just trust me? I know you got to be patient, but I got a platform here. I got a I process here because God's plan is bigger and better than yours. Hurts my ego a little, but it's so true. So don't give up in the process. I'm so glad the disciples didn't. The children of Israel did. If you go back and read through the Old Testament, how many times, I mean, even even the ones that he talked to in Exodus end up kind of rebelling against him in the wilderness. They miss out on the promised land. I'm so glad the disciples didn't. I'm so glad that Paul says this, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor. Side note, not always easy to do. Serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Look, the reality is if if you're gonna receive the promise that God has for you, it might not come easy right away. And it might not play out in your life the way that you thought it would. It might take some digging. It might take some digging in. It might take some time. It might take some patience. It might take some perseverance. In New Jersey, this last Monday, there was a high school student named Ethan who, as he got home from school, realized that they had somehow inadvertently thrown his phone away at school, and he didn't have his phone, which, as you can imagine, ruined his life and made his father less than happy because a missing phone means paying for another phone. So you know what they decided to do? They decided, you know, you can use an app where you can track a phone, find out where it is. So they they use the old Find My iPhone app, and they look, and they find out that it's on the move. Like, they can literally see the phone moving. They're like, well, let's go track this thing down. So they they follow, not exactly knowing where the phone is or what happened to it. And do you know where it took them? To the garbage dump. Because the phone was in a dump truck, garbage truck. And when they got there, dad said, look, I know that in that truck that you're just about to dump into this massive 50 by 25 pile of garbage is my son's phone. And they basically said, all right, dad, have at it. <laughs> they suited dad up. Dad crawled in the trash. And in 30 minutes, he found Ethan's phone, which if I'm Ethan, I would never want to use again, <laughs> right? But because he was willing to persevere, because he was willing to dig in, 
because he was willing to even put up with a situation that was less than comfortable, he got what he was looking for. If dad can do that for a phone, don't you think we could do that for the next big thing? Say, God, look, I'm not going to give up. I'm not afraid of a season that might be a little trashy in a, in a spiritual sense, not, not sinful. You know what I mean. <laughs> the point is this. There's power in perseverance. So don't give up. Don't, don't give in. Don't lose heart. Because the disciples were willing to allow patience to get them to the point where the process played out so they could receive God's promises. And in the Old Testament, so many times they didn't and they missed out. Understand, when we lose patience in the process, we miss out on God's promises. So I don't, I don't know where you're at, but don't lose patience in the process. If, if you're praying and you're asking God for help and, and you believe you're in the place where he wants you to be, then trust him in that. Don't lose patience in the process because you might miss out on God's promises, which takes us to the fifth thing, last thing, number five, prayer opens opportunity for blessing. When you pray... When you look to God and say, God, I'm open for the next big thing. God, I'm seeking you. God, I'm asking you. God, I need your confidence and uncertainty. God, I need your insight in your word. God, I need guidance in my decisions. God, I need your patience through this process. In those times, that's when you're open to receiving God's promises. That's when you're open to receiving his blessings. If you're just killing time, if you're just going, oh, man, or oh, I'm frustrated, or oh, why don't, what if instead I channeled that energy and I said, God, I need your help in this. God, I need your strength in this. God, I need... I need, I need you to come alongside of me. That's when you're open to receiving his blessings. Acts chapter one, verse four. Go back to kind of the beginning of this whole thing. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to them, the way that I can give you this gift is if you will wait and remain faithful. Look, he doesn't say just sit around. He doesn't say just kill time. He says, I want you to wait. I want you to be active. I want you to be faithful. I want you to do the things that you know to do. And in the midst of this, as you are being faithful, as you are waiting on me, then you open yourself up to receive my promises and my blessings. For some of us, we have to shift our thinking because we think in a way as if we're killing time when instead waiting is so much more. Waiting is hoping. When I wait, I'm hoping for God to do something in my life. It's interesting because we're sitting here in what used to be a movie theater. And if you go to a movie theater and, and you want to see a, a movie, you get there, and then for the first six and a half hours of the film, they show you the previews. Do you know what I'm talking about? Which is great if you're running late. And sometimes you can sit there and you can be like, oh, man, all I want to see is the feature. I want to see the main attraction. Until you sit there, and if any of those trailers kind of catch your eye, you're like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. They're, they know what they're doing. They're a little devious when they make those things. Because they show you these parts that grab a hold of you, and after that two and a half minutes is done, you're sitting there, and you've just seen that trailer, and you say, wow, I want to see that. I don't want to miss that. I'm going to watch that one. See, they know that even while you're waiting for the main thing to happen, they can stir some hope up inside of you. They can move something inside of you that causes you to go, look, I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to hold out for that. I'm going to wait for that. And look, even if you're in a place where you're waiting, don't think you're just killing time. God is stirring something inside of you. He's activating your faith. He's building your faith. He wants you to know that your waiting is never wasted. 
One of the things that's really interesting in the Old Testament is that oftentimes when you see that word wait, you can also use the word hope. That I'm waiting, that I'm hoping. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord, but those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And some of you are probably sitting there in, in, in your seat in this room or an auditorium too, or maybe you're watching on a screen somewhere, and you just say to yourself, boy, I sure like some wings like eagles. Boy, I, I could sure use some strength where I'm not going to get weary. Boy, I'm facing something where I'd, I'd really like not to faint. <laughs> God, I need your help in this moment. And there's this beauty in prayer that when you come to him and you wait or when you hope, even though you might not see the main thing right now, he stirs something inside of you and says, look, you'll, you'll get to the other side of this thing and I'll give you the strength to do it. So after a sermon on prayer, the best thing we can do is pray. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And whether you're, whether you're here in this room or you're in auditorium too, or even if you're watching on a screen somewhere, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Um, I'm going I'm to ask some questions, and if this applies to you, I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're not going to do anything else. It's nothing, nothing weird. But I think sometimes a, a, a spiritual blessing requires a physical response. And so if you're here today and, and you would say, I need prayer, <laughs> if you'd say, I'm in an uncertain time and I'm asking God for some confidence, would you stand right where you are? Wherever you're at, just, just stand. I'm in an uncertain time and I'm asking God for some confidence. I'm, I'm praying for God to bring his confidence my way. Okay, maybe you're in a place where you would say, I need to make a decision and I'm asking God to bring me guidance. If that's you, just, just stand right where you are. I, I need to make a decision and I'm asking God to bring me guidance. Maybe you're here and you would say, I feel like I'm in a season that's in process and God, I need... I need to have patience in this process. God, I need your, your help in, in figuring out how this is gonna play out. If you're saying, God, would you, would you help me to have patience in the process? Would you stand right where you are? And then how about this? What if you just say, God, I'm looking for some hope? It covers all kinds of things. If you just say, God, I'm, I'm praying, I'm asking for hope. I need wings like eagles. I need to walk and not be weary. God, I need help to have strength so that in the midst of this, I don't faint. Would you just stand right where you are? Man, there's no shame in this. This is, this, is, uh, this is what makes us better. Okay, one last time. If, if, you're, if you're hearing this and you go, God, I, I, need, I need to respond in prayer today. I'm looking for the next big thing in my life. Just stand right where you are. Father, we come to you. Thank you, Lord. So one other thing I want to do, we talked last week about being in the right place. You're there right now. And we talked about having the right people around us, people who share our values and our hope. And this room's filled with them. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're, if, you're, if you're around somebody who's standing, even if you're standing too, would you just put your hand next to their shoulder? If, if somebody's around you, um, just kind of make, make a point of, of we're going to pray with those who share our values, who share our hope. And even before we do anything else, you don't, you don't need another social security number or anything. Just start praying for them. All right, just start asking that God would strengthen them. Let them hear your prayers. We're encouraged by that. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we praise you. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, we come to you, and God, we thank you that your word says that when we pray, you hear us. So we're not just sending good vibes out into the universe. We're speaking to the creator of the universe. And so, Lord, in this moment, I pray for those who are in a place of uncertainty. Lord, you know what it is. Would you give them confidence right now? Lord, as they pour out their hearts to you, would you let them know that you hear them and you are their refuge, you are their salvation, you are their rock, you are the one who gives them honor and strength. God, we pray with those that are making a decision right now. Lord, maybe they're, maybe they're deciding about what's next in their future. And maybe for some of them, they're making a decision that they know very clearly there's, there's one way that's right and one way that's not so right or one way that's wrong and they're, they're having to decide which way to go. Lord, by your Holy Spirit right now, would you give guidance to that decision? Lord, many of us are in a process right now. And to be honest, God, it's hard to have patience in that process. Lord, you see something that we don't see. Holy Spirit, you know that how what you're activating and building in us right now is going to lead to your glory in the future. And so in Jesus' name, we ask God that you would give us patience in this process. And Lord, some of us are just asking for hope. Today, we're waiting on you. Lord, this situation with our family, this situation with our health, this situation with our finances, what's going on at school, what's going on at work, what's going on in, in, our, in, our, in our role as a parent or as a spouse, what's going on in our church, God, what's just going on in our head, God, what's, what's going on with our past or our future in this, we're looking to you, we're waiting and we're hoping. Lord, would you give us strength to not be weary? Would you help us to walk through this time and not faint? God, I ask that when, when we walk out of this building today, you would almost, in a tangible sense, lift us up on wings like eagles. God, that we'd soar through this week, not because anything's changed, but because our focus is on you. We're looking to you as you play out the next big thing in our lives. Lord, thanks for your word. As we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.